The Tablet Show, Episode 7, with guests William Van Heck, Hattie Hariri, and Phil Hack. Recorded live at Ordev, Thursday, November 10th, 2011. From thetabletshow.com, it's The Tablet Show. Conversations about developing software for tablets and other mobile devices with your hosts Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell. In this episode, Carl and Richard discuss tablet development with William Van Heck, Hattie Hariri, and Phil Hack. This episode of The Tablet Show is sponsored by Telerik, offering the best in developer tools and support. Online at telerik.com. And now, here are Carl and Richard. Hey, it's .NET Rocks at Ordev. Carl Franklin and Richard Campbell here, talking to Bill Van Hecke. Hi, Bill. Howdy. How are you? I'm fine. Tell us what you're talking about here at Ordev. Um, I have a talk. I have one talk that is about uh, user experience design for iPad specifically. Uh, cool. Mm-hmm. cool. And I have one that is about uh, user experience design across all the Apple platforms. So oh, wow. iPad, iPhone, and Mac, bringing the same application to all three. Are the designs that different between them? I mean, iPad just seems like a really big iPhone. That was kind of the initial impression that a lot of people got from it. Was mm-hmm. like, okay, well, I've got this little interface for my iPhone app. Now I have a whole lot more screen space, so I'll just make push, the icons bigger. Push the interface out to the edges. Maybe right. add some buttons, or just make everything bigger, and sure. then I'm good to go. But it turns out that the the difference in size between the phone and the pad makes uh, it's not just a a quantitative increase in screen real estate. It actually changes the way people interact. Yeah. Uh, it changes the par- how much of the screen people can reach when they're holding it. Mm. It changes um, when people pull the device out. You know, you, you might want to have your phone on you at all uh, times. But so what you're saying is, so what you're saying is like on the iPhone, you can do a lot of things with your thumb. Exactly. So you can design for the thumb. Mm-hmm. But you can't do that on the iPhone. Yeah. So yeah. like on the iPad, there's this, something called the steering wheel zone, which is yeah. where like... Like you're holding a steering wheel, they put the radio controls yeah. on the steering wheel nice. so you can reach with your hands, right? You you have to put a lot of your controls out on the edges on the iPad I see. for the same reason. Um, yeah. And that means the middle of the screen can now be dedicated to more content. Yeah. Right? So you can have a lot richer presentation. Net UI doesn't make sense uh, on an iPhone because it's just not enough space. Mm. Exactly. Interesting. Yeah. So. Uh, what kind of apps are we talking about typically that design? Uh, we make productivity apps. So we have like a suite of five productivity apps that kind of kind of work together. Uh, you know, there's a diagramming app, outlining, project management, that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Hmm. Is it productivity for the developers in general or any uh, kind of business it's a, user? It's really consumer-oriented. So, uh, okay. you know, everyone from students to lawyers to engineers, so everyone, platform, scientists. agnostic sure. in yeah. terms of... The domain. Yeah. Really general purpose stuff, yeah. which is hard to design for. Yeah, no kidding. And the other side of that, of course, is in the collaboration of it. That you're, you know, doing, gathering information, you know, getting some ideas together, and then you get a bunch of iPads together. Is there mm-hmm. a way to make them interact? Um, we, you know, we tried to make it as easy as possible to send files back and forth. Mm-hmm. Um, a really interesting thing about iPad is that even if you just have one of them, um, it's such a more collaborative experience naturally than a laptop would be because you don't have this wall between you right, and the person yeah, across the table. Right, because you tend to lay table. it down on the table. Exactly. So, so people can look at it. Everyone just crowds around. We, um, when we were designing like our default document templates, mm-hmm. we found we wanted to make the fonts a lot bigger because we figured 
Um, in a lot of cases, you're in like a meeting room, a conference room, or a classroom, and you want to be able to hold something up and just show it to somebody. Oh, yeah. Right. Which you don't do as much with a laptop, right? They kind of all have to crowd around the same screen. True. And a laptop is very much a single user machine. It's and in, and in, in meetings, I think it's quite. You know, you check out when you put that screen out. Totally. You're saying, like, this is my partition separating yeah. me from the rest uh, of the yeah, group. Yeah, I just went into a cubicle inside this room. Yep. Yep. And no one knows what you're looking at, right? right. You could be checking Facebook or who um, knows what. I'm a, we're, we're .NET guys, .NET developers. And uh, if you don't mind indulging my ignorance for a minute, um, okay. tell us what the experience is like uh, in developing UI, specifically in Objective-C. Um the you know we're used to in the .NET world we're used to things like Silverlight where we have the XAML markup that's uh, you know fairly fairly straightforward to understand what what is the whole experience like in Objective C the way that we do it I mean I'm not uh, I'm not an engineer myself so um, my I've got kind of a outsider perspective on mm -hmm. the engineering side but um, the way that we do it I'll generally produce uh, more or less pixel perfect mockups okay. provide that stuff to engineering. So and a Photoshop kind of thing. Yeah. yeah. Um, we use OmniGraffle and Photoshop together. And um, it gets it's still really collaborative even after I hand that off. Mm -hmm. um, I like the engineers who give me a lot of variables that I can tweak ah, right. uh, in the code. And it feels fun to me to like commit code files even right. though I don't know what I'm doing. Because right, I'm yeah, just yeah. changing a number somewhere that says, oh, the, you know, the shadow on this should be a little stronger. Or that's something. cool. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it, I mean, that's kind of how our workflow goes. All right, so the so the engineers then will take that graphic, slice it up into into pieces, and mm -hmm. then use the code to display that yeah. and handle there's, events and things. On uh, on iOS and increasingly on macOS, there's a lot of like stretchable images. Yeah. Um, so you provide something. It's like if you slice it here and here, then you can stretch it out in both dimensions to make it as big as it needs to be. Yeah. Uh, and um, the interface builder tool that Apple provides mm -hmm. actually means that that me and the other designers can produce some stuff that is actually usable because yeah. um, it's a totally graphical. So why not always design in that? Why spend time in Photoshop? Anything that's not a standard control. Right. Um, mm -hmm. You're out of luck on. And like, if you try to compose that stuff in interface builder, like when I open up the interface builder files that the engineers make, there's just all these rectangles that are just like custom control here, custom control here, and I'm like, I have uh, no idea. That's your fault. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I mean, I, we try not to use custom stuff unless we really have to. Right. But sometimes yeah. you really have to. Yeah. Sometimes you've got a particular UI metaphor you're trying for, and it doesn't fit the custom control. Right. And there's a whole lot more of that on iOS now. And there, Apple kind of obliquely endorses doing your own thing mm -hmm. on iOS more than they ever did on Mac. Mm -hmm. Um. And they're, they've just started giving us, like, being able to tint controls a certain way or substitute in images for certain mm. controls and have them still work the same way, that sort uh, of thing. I think you really oh. described the differences in an iPad app. And then you've also got this talk where you talk about uniformity across the different platforms. Mm. Or did I not Uniformity see of uh, philosophy, but not of interface implementation. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. You, what changes? How do you make that work? Did the still feels related it's not the same right mm. it's it's kind of hard to make sure that people can maintain the same mental model even if they're using three different uis right um but it's not as hard as you might think it is mm -hmm. um a lot of it like between iphone and ipad a lot of it is like 
um, you can see more of the navigation at once right. on iPad. Right On the phone, yeah. you're pretty much limited to, I'm looking at one level of hierarchy at a time. I can yeah, delve right. down. I can and when I'm manipulating up. that hierarchy, I can't see anything else. Right. My, my finger pretty much blocks the screen. Exactly. It's really enforced focus. Right. Um, on iPad, you can, you know, there's the sidebar and main content area mm-hmm. conceit that many, many apps use where you can see navigation and uh, content at the same time. Right. Now, the Mac's got to be the big difference because they're not touch. Right. OS X Lion is supposedly about bringing iOS lessons back to the Mac. Right. right? So there's all this gesture-based stuff, but it's not direct. Mm. So it, it's never going to feel as natural as, like, that's the thing I want, so I'm going to poke yeah, it. Right? right. You're still reaching for the mouse, even if you are trying to do a flick gesture with a mouse. Exactly. Okay. Um, so it's on the Mac, it's a lot more beholden to just the way things we've done for the last several decades yeah. um, for, like... Having navigation, having uh, one-click access to stuff because clicking is kind of a pain cognitively. Right. Um, and just having a whole lot more UI furniture surrounding your content. Hmm. You call it furniture? Chrome? Yeah. Chrome UI furniture. Uh, Edward Tufty calls it administrative debris. I uh, love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like furniture because it seems then it's a... It's like you need some. Yeah, you yeah, got Everybody's got to furnish your home, right? Yeah, you need yeah. a place to sit. <laughs> yeah, but no you also don't want so much furniture in your house that you can't move around. Yeah, so uh, I like point. I like that metaphor. And your furniture generally hits the perimeter of your room, doesn't right. it? Right, you keep it you keep it on the walls yeah. for the most part, right? Nice. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, you like that? Yeah, I do. I'm, I'm paying attention. You're all over. You know, I just, I'm all over the furniture ride. Yeah, it's nice. Administrative debris. That's very Tufty, though. It is. Yeah, that guy's <laughs> awesome. So obviously, Tufty is a big influence on you. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I mean, you have to kind of you you need to segregate. Like, okay, he's talking about print design for the most part. Yeah. Um, he he's kind of derisive of digital design in yes. a lot of cases. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still teaching so. in Chicago, design, right? Design yeah. though. What's that? Isn't there? Isn't design design? Yeah. If you're, a, I had this. This is a great story. I had this conversation with a musician friend of mine, who is in the kitchen design, like high end kitchen design mm-hmm. uh, world, making boatloads of money, <laughs> yeah. and the economy tanked, and he just decided to walk away from it. And now he's sitting around wondering what to do. And I thought, well, do you ever think about taking your design? brain and applying that to something else where you can actually mm-hmm. use it. Yeah. And aren't there fundamental principles of, of design that completely transcend there these are. domains? There's a book called Universal Principles of Design. Hmm. It's a hundred, I think it's been expanded to a hundred and some odd, uh, just like one page concepts that if you're doing something that has the word design in it are They're applicable there. in some wow. way. Yeah. yeah. My wife is a interior designer um, as a hobby and we totally critique each other. Yeah. When I'm doing software design, she's doing interior design. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's just like second nature for and both has of it, us. And has it ruined you? Like, <laughs> this is what I mean by that. Um, you and I know, Richard, both have this thing where you, you know about movie making, so you can never watch a movie yeah. mm-hmm. and enjoy well, it. And audio I too. know about audio, so mm-hmm. when I listen to music, I'm listening for so much more than the how the emotional content hits me. Totally. Um, is it ruined you in terms of like you can't just look at something and appreciate your brain just is automatically it's, picking it it's apart? It's really hard, and that's <laughs> why I'm sticking to software like you, useful software, and why I will never go into video games because yeah. I have a feeling if I ever had to work on games, I would You'd stop enjoying them. Stop enjoying them. Right. Yeah. 
Well, just like I imagine your friend doesn't like high-end kitchens anymore. Probably. <laughs> no, he's totally done. He's not going back there. Yeah. yeah. It's very interesting. Mm-hmm. It is interesting. So, uh, so what are some of these, I don't know, I don't know if we're talking about universal design principles, but what are some design principles that guide you every step of the way? Wow. Um, geez, that's a good question. Um, I mean, there's so many, I'm sure. Yeah. The, I'm always trying to pay attention to focus. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's kind of been a theme of, of both of my talks that I'm giving uh, here is um, the Mac is always going to have you focusing on more stuff at once yeah. than the than either the iOS platforms. Yeah. Um, but being conscious of what you're putting in front of people mm-hmm. and w- how they're going to process that. Where um, the, where you bring their eye and yeah. how much clutter there is. How, and, yeah, really, like, how much stuff you put on the screen makes a big difference for how something feels. Right. Well, I think one of the things we fall into as developers is that we uh, actually process a lot more data into our screens naturally anyway. Yeah. We, we aren't our customer. Right. We can have as many apps open as we want. Right. Windows right. just stack we up We don't forever. get confused by that. Yeah. We get used to it. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're good at man- navigating that. And, you know, the great... Options dialogue, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Just 57 buttons and an, and an OK and cancel. And, and just because it gets everything in one place. And we mm-hmm. like that. We can work with that. But most people just look at it and go, I don't know. It's fascinating. If you, if you sit down with a novice user and you ask them like to perform a pretty simple task in a particular app, and you start seeing the cursor wander like outside of the app window, and you're like, "Wait, what? Right, where are you they're going, going up to like the menu bar items yeah, and yeah. like the dock and all this other stuff." And you're and you you realize like, "Wow, I have this model where I know that this window contains the functionality of this app, mm. but not everybody necessarily has that right. understanding." Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's very Jeez. profound. So the way that the way that iOS enforces focusing on one thing at a time, pretty much all the time. Right. Um, makes a huge difference. Do you difference. think this is making its way into business software on, on our Windows machines and our Macs? And I'm really, really interested in seeing how, like, supposedly uh, Microsoft is bringing the Metro UI yeah. mm-hmm. to everywhere, right? right? Which is especially cool to me because I have a friend on the Windows Phone team. He was a huge Mac fan. Yeah. He, he went over, he, they convinced him to work on Windows Phone because it was such a new design direction for Microsoft. Yeah. Um, so, I'm uh, slightly skeptical about the way that they seem to be trying to satisfy the desktop tradition and the touch uh, newcomer at the same Mm -hmm. time. Well, you're not alone. I mean, we're in the same boat. Uh I don't know. I don't know if it's going to work, honestly. Microsoft's made a very fundamental bet not to make a new operating system the way Apple did to to go down into this paradigm that they're going to bring Windows to those form factors. Which Which is cool. I think... Like doing their own thing mm-hmm. um, and saying like this is what we think is a Microsofty thing to do and yeah. go as far as possible yeah. in that yeah. direction is way cooler than copying somebody. Oh, I, agree. I agree. Yeah. So do you like the Metro UI? I love it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, which is terrifying to me because I've always yeah. been like, oh, Microsoft is the other, those other guys that I'm not supposed to like. But it's super exciting the way they do design in that team and yeah. the way that it's kind of sneaking its way into right. other projects. I uh, Yeah, I have to admit, I, I love it. Yeah, the whole concept of these live tiles with, uh, you know, with real information that changes. This is one of the things I love about the iPhone is the simplicity of having this, the number, the red number mm-hmm. circle. I don't know. What do you call that? The badge. The badge? Yeah. And, and that's really all I need to know yep. to, to get me, oh, that, 
app has some updated information, mm-hmm. but it doesn't really tell me much about it. Yeah, the the Windows Phone tiles are are super expressive, right? Mm-hmm. My, yeah. So my buddy who works on Windows Phone, uh, John Bell, he did a talk called "Make It Relevant," uh, in which you can Google, and it's all about how they're trying to give you stuff that's relevant to you, not just like right. here's the icon our designer made. We hope you like it. Right. It's like here's a picture of your family. You know, right, it's yeah. on the home screen of your phone. How yeah, cool is that? That is cool. That is cool. So what uh, what's the next thing that you're going to be tackling? Um, we the big gap in our product lineup right now is OmniPlan for iPad, which is our project management app that we're trying to bring to iOS. Um, tell me tell me one more time about your company and your your website and all uh, that. The Omni Group, which is at omnigroup.com. Okay, we make. Um, a whole b- well, a big suite of productivity apps. Okay. So, um, Om- OmniGraphle is for diagramming. OmniOutliner makes outlines. OmniPlan is project management yeah. and so on. Um, so, bringing something like a Gantt chart-based project management app to iOS huh. is kind of a fun challenge. Big, that is <laughs> a challenge. Yeah. yeah. Coming from from the Mac to the iPad, yeah. going to the touch metaphor, to mm-hmm. the somewhat screen-space constraint. Yeah, uh, you know, detail interfacing is challenging. Inputs challenging. Yep. Like, they're a very different way of thinking about it. Totally. How do you do? How do you deal with that when you have a lot of information that you need to convey visually, but you want to simplify mm-hmm. and clarify? I mean, that's really the whole trick, isn't it? Yeah. The so the constructs of the iOS interface, especially popovers, um, do a great job of hiding tons and tons of functionality behind like one and, little. And button. a popover is. That's where um, you've got this floating piece of UI that kind of has a stem pointing at something. Oh, oh, okay. Um, sort of like it, a little dialogue. Yeah, yeah. it's a it's a um, it's a piece of UI kind that of kind of it it appears when you ask for it and it disappears as soon as you go anywhere else. Okay. So um, you can get pretty cavalier about like putting a bunch of functionality into this popover. Yeah. And not worrying about it being too complex because you're only ever going to see one of those at a time. Yeah. So stuff that would get overwhelming if you had like several palettes open, mm. you can put it in a popover and feel fairly safe. That okay. So so much. you were saying about. Um, so we're making very uh, extensive use of those in OmniPlan. There's so much information to keep track of in an app like that. Yeah. So um, field after field after field. Um, but if you put it in a popover and use tabs and chunk it up, you know. Uh, in a reasonable way, it becomes pretty navigable. Mm. And is the is the main focus of OmniPlan the chart? I mean, is this still the metaphor that you're going to be using for that people are going to be manipulating on yeah. on the screen? Yeah, the I mean, a Gantt chart is a pretty visual thing. Yeah, uh, you know, we offer a lot of styling, so you can color code it and so on. And uh, iOS is pretty good about showing you visual content and letting you zoom around, pan around. Are you making like use of visual space like like uh, Richard was saying about the Windows Phone 7 earlier is that and in Metro is that the 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 virtual space is bigger than the actual screen so you can slide around and right. zoom it in and zoom it out. Are you yeah. are you sort of using that metaphor as well? Yeah, we're trying to figure out good ways that like if you zoom out on a Gantt chart it can get pretty indistinct pretty fast. Yeah. And you're like I have no idea what's going on in this right. project. So right. being able to kind of intelligently present something that's still going to be meaningful to you when you're zoomed all the way out on the yeah. project level, right? Yeah. Um, that's been one of the more interesting challenges. Yeah, I, I guess on, on Metro they have this uh, feature called um, a semantic zoom. Semantic which zoom. Cha- Which basically means that when you're zoomed out 
your UI can change. In other mm -hmm. words, the presentation and the amount of detail you show, you can have a completely different UI when you're zoomed out than when you're zoomed in. Interesting. So it's not just a zoom, it's not just a stretching of everything. Right. But you can actually start, when you're zooming out, taking stuff out mm -hmm. and making it more, um, you know, less detail oriented, yeah. more big picture oriented. Well, when you think about the scope of project management, the zoomed out, the overall view, the questions you're asking in that sort of position is, are we on time? Are we ahead? Are we behind? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Rather, and then zoomed in is why. It's yeah. where. It's Who's working on this? Why are they behind? Right. Yeah. yeah. You know, what's the, what's the piece that's taking the most time? What's our blocking event? So you almost mm -hmm. get that visual representation. As I zoom out, I change the look of that chart right. to really highlight this is where we're late or that we are late at mm -hmm. all. Mm. rather than uh, the details of, of each of those uh, particular points. Yeah. We may have something to learn from, uh, like, Google Maps, where, mm. you know, the more you zoom out, you stop seeing the small town names, right. and you start mm -hmm. seeing the state names, and so on. There's yeah. an application that we use to edit this show, actually, called Adobe Audition. It's an audio editor. And the whole idea is you see multiple tracks on the screen, and there's zoom levels. And when you are zoomed in, they, they take the, exactly what we're talking about. They take out all the details of each track, like the panning and the volume and all that stuff. And they, mm -hmm. they just give you the essentials. You yeah. Know? Uh, so it's, it's kind of a, a great idea. We're designing OmniPlan right here. Nice. On the show. That's right. On it. That's, That's right. It's cool. Well, uh, Bill, thanks very much for talking to us. Thanks for having me. That all was right. fun. Bill Van Heck. Bill Van Heck. This portion of the tablet show is brought to you by our good friends at Telerik. Hey, can you ever have too many free tools to complement your development skills? I didn't think so. So our friends at Telerik are giving you now more than 30 free products for application development, automated testing, agile project management, and content management. And we're talking free-free. Not a trial, not a demo, but free, complete products supported by a community of over 440,000 developers at Telerik Forums. From free ASP.NET AJAX, ASP.NET MVC, and Silverlight controls, to the free ORM solution and automated testing framework, to free agile management tools and content management systems. All of these and more are available to you for immediate download at Telerik.com slash free stuff. Most of the free products can be used for commercial purposes and give you access to supplemental support resources such as documentation and forms. Go to Telerik.com slash free stuff now and take full advantage of the available free of charge products. And don't forget to thank them for supporting the Tablet Show. Richard and I are here talking to Hadi Hariri from JetBrains. Hi, Hadi. Hey, how are you doing? Pretty good. So I understand that you have some interesting tools for uh, for developing with Objective-C yep. and Android. Yep. And that these tools might be of interest to .NET developers because... Well, um, so we have, as you know, we, we've got uh, one of our biggest... Uh, tools in the java space is intellij which is the platform the ide and the j stands for java java mm -hmm. yeah it's actually the full name is intellij idea and so it resharper was born out of intellij really yeah so the idea of uh providing the same kind of productivity experience inside visual studio came out of intellij interesting yeah and like lots of net tools come out of Java. Yeah. 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 Just Hibernate and uh, NUnit, all of those things. Just prefix it with an N. Yeah, you put got, an N on it, boom, it's .NET. <laughs> .NET version, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, in fact, actually, you know, um, interesting thing, the, the IntelliJ, it was in origi originally called Renamer, and all it did was rename stuff for refactoring. Oh, okay. And then it became a full-blown IDE. 
So, um, so Reshava was born out of that, mm -hmm. right? So now we've taken that same IntelliJ, which has now become a platform for other languages, right? So apart from Java, we also have RubyMine, um, Python, and all these different languages. The whole gamut. The whole gamut. All that actually run against the Java SDK or uh, no, no, engines? it's it's just or the, J, the Java G, JVM. No, no, no. Well, yeah, the the IDE is is on the JVM, right? But then it's all specific to different languages. Okay, okay. So we've taken that same concept and that same experience that you have as a as a IDE developer and mm -hmm. the productivity you get with IntelliJ or with ReSharper, and we've provided that now for App Code uh, for Objective C. Okay, and that's called App Code. Because I, I would think on the Android side it's just Java, so IntelliJ is a perfect tool for yes. that. On nothing in, to it. Yeah. On the on the Java side, we have uh, IntelliJ mm -hmm. and with support for Android. So so this uh, this is a sort of a Visual Studio like tool uh, IDE for Objective C. This is the way you described it to me earlier. Is that yeah? Is that accurate? That's precisely. Accurate. And from what I know about Objective C, you really have to run it on a Mac. Is this a Mac tool or is this a Windows tool? Uh, this is a Mac tool. Um, in fact, I mean, the IDE itself is written on the JVM, and it's written in Java, so it runs on the JVM, so you can run it on Windows, Linux, and Mac. Okay. Uh, the app code, you need to have a Mac to develop for. And is that like a dependency on... Uh... We have a dependency right now on Xcode. Right. But it. it's it just really doesn't make sense to develop outside of... Uh, but I think it's a very, I mean, a key issue here going over and over again. Everyone I talk to that you're just not going to be successful developing on for the iPhone or the iPad without working in OS X. Yeah. So tell us what, uh, what you guys supply that, uh, .NET developers would find welcome that they would not get using the standard tools. Okay. So the, I mean, I'm learning Objective C myself. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so this is like a first hand experience for me. And, I found that when going to a new language, at least being familiar with the environment that you're working with helps. Mm -hmm. You don't have to now learn the language and the new tool, which is the case, for example, with Xcode, which is the default IDE kind of thing that is provided with, uh, for, you know, Objective C development. Right. So I found that that already made it, you kind of felt at home and the same experience that, you know, like you have when you're debugging, you just press the F8 and then you can just debug and see your inspections and stuff like oh, that. Oh, nice. So the, the key, keyboard maps are the, the same. Keyboard it's maps are the same. Yep. If you, because I mean, when you're using ReSharper, you can either use what we call the IntelliJ, um, which is for historical reasons, mm -hmm. or you can use a Visual Studio scheme that we have. And you can use the same combinations on any of the other IDs that we provide. Wow. So at least it gives you that. You know, out of the box. Oh, I know how to go to a file. I know how to open a file. I know how to do these things. Right. right. You, you basically navigate around the UI. That's not going to confuse you while you're still wrestling with a new yeah. language and yeah. a new set of tools or yeah. a new set of libraries. Yeah. And also inside the project itself, you know, you navigate to a type, you look for a symbol, you navigate to a file, mm -hmm. all the navigation features that we provide as well with uh, Visual Studio, you have them out of the box. So what does the app code piece look like? Is it just a, a essentially a library you're running inside of IntelliJ to, to do uh, Objective-C development? Uh, yeah, I mean, basically, the, the, the IntelliJ, which is the idea platform right now, is the IDE, and then there's core things that are added to it. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, then we provide support for different languages. Nice. So the idea itself is pretty much standard, the right. IDE, and then we provide uh, support on top of that. So IntelliSense? Yeah, you get full IntelliSense, you get, you know, full navigation, you get full refactoring, which are things that, you know, like even Objective-C developers aren't that familiar with that much. Mm -hmm. But one, I think one of the most important features that you provide, we provide for app code for .NET developers is code analysis. 
So you know that ReSharper uh, has this feature that it actually statist- uh, statically analyzes your code as you're writing code, and it says, oh, you got a null reference here. Oh, you got this here. Oh, you got that there. Right. When you go to, over to Xcode, where you have memory management, for instance, mm-hmm. this you it. don't know this until you run. And with, with iPhone development, I don't know if you've done any, you run it, you got a loose yeah. pointer, it just crashes, it just dies. It goes. It goes yeah. away. Nothing pray to else. the pointer god. Yeah. No, but it, right, like, Boom, we're back in 1992, exactly. right? We're building for Windows 3.1 again, and, and you debug by the, the general protection fault in the blue screen. <laughs> so uh, it's, it's pretty, uh, that's pretty archaic. Like, yeah. that's mean. Yeah, I know. So, I mean, the fact is static analysis is going to pick up that I have a straight pointer here exactly. before I run it. Yeah, exactly. And that's where we add to in Objective-C. So, you know, while you're writing code, like, for example, Objective uh, app code says to you, you are, you know, you're using a pointer that you're not right. releasing. Right. And this is going to cause you a problem. It's interesting that C-sharp developers who have done C++ will be at home with this, but maybe a .NET developer who hasn't done any of the memory management themselves might find the task daunting, but they would find it less daunting if they're using app code. Yeah. I, I can imagine you know, going straight into it and having to... I mean, you know, I've been doing... I Before I did .NET, I was a Delphi guy, mm-hmm. right? And there it was a try-finally, and you had to do a free and nil. So oh, you, yeah. it wasn't managed. You want to memory. see where C sharp comes from. You go look at Delphi. Yeah, exactly. Right? Sure. Anders. Yeah. And, you know, when I came over to .NET, it, when managed memory came out, all the Delphi guys were like, Oh, come on. I, I clean up my own stuff. Yeah. I'm know? a, I'm a big boy I'm now. I'm a big boy now. <laughs> 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 uh, so even that, I mean, and I did like what, eight years, 10 years of Delphi. Mm-hmm. And now I'm going back to like, I really got to clean my own stuff up now. <laughs> really? I mean, really? I mean, didn't we go through this yeah, already? Has this been taken care of now? Yeah. So this is just simply an IDE. So what the, the compiling is the same, uh, whether you're using, uh, Xcode or app code, right? I mean, it still compiles to the same thing, still uses the same compiler. There's no difference in what it generates. Is that right? Yeah. It's exactly the same thing. So basically we have two dependencies on Xcode right now. Mm-hmm. The first one is Interface Builder, which is the UI builder that right. a lot of people actually don't use. It's kind of like in .NET where you just write out XAML without right. any UI. And the other one is the, the Xcode template. So when you start a new project, you can do Cocoa project or you can do a desktop console application, mm-hmm. iPhone, whatever. We depend on those templates being installed. But apart from that, you don't really need to touch Xcode. So does that mean that you can import an Xcode project? It's 100% compatible. You can actually open an Xcode project in AppCode. You can save it in AppCode, and you can still open it in Xcode. So bidirectional, too. Yes. You're not adding anything new to the equation. No, we do, but in our own separate files. So, so, so is there any downside? Is there any downside for a .NET developer doing Objective-C with AppCode? Not really, no. I mean... Yeah, there's a price tag on it, but yeah, other than yeah. that... <laughs> it's not free. It's not but free. But I'm also compelled to this idea that here's the same idea as well if I want to switch over to Android. Does that mean I get to share some resource files and things as well? You get to share the same experience. Mm-hmm. Exactly the same experience, right? Because you, you know, if you learn one of our IDEs, you've learned them all. Right. You know exactly how to debug. You know exactly how to navigate. You know exactly how to refactor. You know exactly how to run unit tests, how if, to inspect everything. And if you're running ReSharper and all those tools in Visual Studio, you know it already, yeah. pretty yeah, much. Exactly. And what is the price tag? I think for a personal license now, it's actually on, on discount. It's something, something like 31 euros. Oh, geez. Yeah. And what about a professional license? Uh, for commercial license, it's about 120, 130 euros. Wow. That's I bargain. mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's like, it's, it's crazy cheap. My, my whiskey was more yeah, expensive. We spent more on, on whiskey, <laughs> whiskey last, last night, night yeah. than that. <laughs> 
And, but the IntelliJ one just mentioned that because that's important. We last year or about two, nearly two years ago, mm-hmm. we took IntelliJ because you know, IntelliJ competes kind of with Eclipse, mm-hmm. which is free. And we made a free open source version of IntelliJ. Right. Right. And this is a $500 product. Mm-hmm. In one year, we had a 25% increase in sales after making the free OS version. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, the free OS version got people in the door, and shortly after that, yeah. they went and bought your product. Yeah. A lot so of it does work. It does work. And a lot of people said, oh, yeah, but I can't do Android development with the free version. So last year, we added Android version, uh, Android development with the free version. Mm-hmm. So, in fact, if you want to do today Android development, you don't have you to buy anything. Don't have to buy anything. You just use the that, free community edition of IntelliJ. That works just fine for most Android developers because they like free. Yep. <laughs> oh, no. We, I didn't say that. <laughs> Did I say that out loud? I think you might have. Yeah. Well, anyway, it's just an observation. Um, so uh, let's just do the quick exchange right here. 30 euros is what, how many How many dollars today? Uh, right about 1.4, 1.4, 1.5. So it's about 50, 50 bucks, maybe. 50 bucks or so. And maybe less than two hundred bucks for the for the real version. For the real version, yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's a, it's a bargain. And as far as Android development is concerned, compared to the the Object C development inside of the environment, to I mean, obviously there's no code compatibility. The UIs are different. Is there any opportunity to share within the project at all, or is it just completely separate project? It's. I think I would say it's completely separate. Yeah. Because I mean, I mean, I don't do Android development, but right. it's based on Java, and you know, you use XML there for mm-hmm. the actual um, interface. Um, we do have in the Android one, we have an interface previewer. So actually mm-hmm. it's, it's kind of like the Visual Studio experience with XAML where you write the XAML and you can see how it's being updated. Right. So we do provide that for, okay. for the Android version. Well, I think part of the challenge here is building compelling UIs in that small form factor is time consuming because the, the tools aren't really simple. It's not drag and drop. You do have to do some writing and some looking and some writing and some looking. Yeah. It's good to have that, that interchange go quickly. Yeah. yeah. When did AppCode come out on the market? We released it, I think, about a month ago. Really? And yeah. how's it been? Good. Good. Oh. We've had a, we've had actually very good, um, like a beta period because we, oh, we really? opened it about nearly a year ago or eight months ago. Great. And were uh, most of your, most of your beta testers .NET developers? Um, a lot of them were kind of not .NET, uh, some .NET, but also people that have been doing like PHP or Java or yeah. stuff like that, and they're trying to get into Objective-C. Coming from other environments. Coming I mean, from other environments. I mean, I would think that somebody who's working in Xcode might really enjoy moving over to the app code environment just because it is richer and it is going to pick up those static uh, yeah. analysis issues. Yeah, but I, I find that, and you know, this is the case with uh, with all environments. It's kind of like... If you don't know there's something better out there. Right. It's, it's, it's hard to sometimes convince people and say, you know, actually this is adding value yeah. and you should this try it. This increases your productivity. Yeah. I don't know the mindset of the average, uh, Xcode developer, but I gotta, I gotta think that they kind of look at the developer tools that, uh, that .NET developers use, Visual Studio and, and all that IntelliSense goodness and kind of get a little jealous. I yeah. kind of think that. If they looked, I think they'd be impressed. Yeah. Hey, thanks, Hattie. Yeah, thank you. Hey, Phil Hack. How you doing, Richard? <laughs> uh, so I'm Carl, actually. I know. I got a story for you, though. I was in Amsterdam one year uh-huh. at SDN, uh-huh. and I'm walk. I took a walk down to the end of the road at Poppendal, and this big limo pulls up as I'm walking down the street. Uh huh. You know, mirrored windows and stuff, and the guy in the back rolls it down. It's like the Grey Poupon commercial, right? The, yeah. The window Ordered rolls me. down. The guy sticks his head out. He goes. 
Richard Campbell? <laughs> and I said, no, Carl Franklin. He goes, ah, window goes up, takes off. <laughs> that was it? <laughs> that was it. <laughs> Happens all the time. <laughs> like, oh, sorry. Never mind. So, I had so a- your groupies drive limos. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So what are you doing these days, Phil? I'm here attending Oradev. Um, last night, I had one of my favorite sessions where Richard here gave a master class in scotch drinking. Oh, jeez. Oh, that's awesome. We, we did a little drink around the region last night, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I've never had such good scotch. And oh, started man. in Eiley with or, an Ardbeg Renaissance. Or it, a scotch education. <laughs> I've, yeah. been, I've been schooled in scotch so much uh, just by hanging out with Richard. Yeah. Fact, you start I've to wonder schooled. if he's just making all this stuff up. Well, I think I got accused of that a few times last night. <laughs> you did. I, when I did about five minutes on the creation of uh, 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 Nectar Dior, the uh, uh, Glen Morangi. Yeah, space in, the, in the barrels from the Italian winemaking region. Yeah, right. Blah, blah. It's like, wow. <laughs> yeah, just give me a drink. Can <laughs> <laughs> we have a drink, please? Yeah. Well, you know, the thing that, that you've got to learn about scotch is that if you're going to drink good scotch, make it your first drink. Yes. And then... Degrade. Yeah. Just, yeah. De- just keep degrading. We, I think we so made it to the fourth isn't drink. It, it, doesn't that go with like wine as well, right? Yeah. Have the fine wine at first, and then at the night, you have the two-buck chunk. Yeah. All right. Well, lest we be accused by Scott Hanselman of wasting the listener's time, we should probably <laughs> talk about some content here. Sure, sure. What are you talking about here? So uh, today I'm talking about ASP.NET MVC. Mm-hmm. I'm actually uh, talking about our developer preview for MVC 4. So have so, you shipped 3? Yeah, we shipped three uh, twice, in fact. Nice. Uh, first time in January, and then we did a uh, tool tooling update where we added the scaffolding and uh, NuGet. In the spring. In the spring, yeah. Right, with, at Mix, I remember. Yes, uh, yeah. So, that was so a you're big... at preview for four now? No, no, we're at preview one of MVC4. Right. Okay. And so we revealed that at Build, at yes. the, the Build conference. Um, and we called it the developer preview to align with Visual Studio developer preview. Nice. And so today I'm talking about that, um, s- more specifically about developing mobile web applications using MVC4, HTML5, and jQuery mobile. So, okay. Why and tomorrow it, I'm talking about NuGet. What? These, Nobody wants to talk about NuGet. Oh, everyone wants to talk about NuGet. <laughs> These mobile applications uh, are, are Windows Phone, tablet. What are they? What are, what are you What do you mean a mobile app? Oh, so I'm... More specifically, talking about web-based Web mobile apps, apps. yeah. Right. And and what I do is I talk about sort of the the gamut, right? Mm-hmm. So there's the if you only do nothing, there's this one thing I'll tell you to do. At least do this on your sites. So you'll make you know more of your users happy. Right. Yeah. And then there's uh, but if you want to take it further, you know you can do this other technique. And if you want to take it all the way, I show you how to do an offline enabled uh, web app. Well, isn't that the isn't that the holy mm-hmm. grail? Yes. Especially for a mobile device. It's, I'm in HTML5, and I walk out of cell range, or I go into an elevator or something. How do I keep my app from barfing? Yeah, so I talk about how to do that with, really? with these technologies. So how do wow. you do it? <laughs> well, you have to attend my talk. Nice. <laughs> so for those who aren't in Sweden right now. Give us the uh, elevator version of it. <laughs> so uh, the, the way you do it is that HTML5 has support for uh, something called an application cache. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so there's actually a couple things you can do, right? There's the application cache. So uh, when you have this uh, header in your, um, in your HTML file, it'll preload all these files. So if you have a lot of content files, so, and then from then on, if your phone goes off, those, if you hit those URLs, everything continues to work. Oh, interesting. Okay. So um, you can also then use like a local DB, right? Uh, so a database within um, the HTML5 client. 
the nice thing about the application cache is if you develop your application using sort of the single page app model. Right. So uh, rather than a bunch series of links, it's a single page that maybe makes a single service call, mm. gets a bunch of JSON data, mm -hmm. and then uh, you know renders out the UI from that point on mm -hmm. using like templates. Um, I actually have a demo that uses Knockout.js, which is a JavaScript yep. mo view model view view model framework. Right. A uh, really nice way to develop uh, rich client apps. And so you're you're just making. Ajax calls to fetch additional data to re-render on the same page. Yeah, and so in the mobile, the offline-enabled version, it makes one call to get all the session data for like Oradev, and then from then on, you know, you have this app that'll work uh, when you're offline. But when wow. you go to push on, data on up, devices that support it, yeah, right. Okay. I guess that's yeah. that's. I don't want to get there, but and I still have this issue of I want to push data back up. Is there a way for me to hold on to it till I have connectivity again? Yeah. So for that kind of thing. Uh, I think you'd probably use a uh, the the local database. I'm, I'm blanking on the actual term for it, but uh, so the HTML5 supports local cache data, mm -hmm. and so and then there are even frameworks that uh, help support pushing that data back. Right. Um, so, for example, this is one area that Knockout.js doesn't really help you, but yeah. something like Backbone.js has uh, support for. You know, modeling the data going back and forth between the client. But and essentially, server. like a, a queue that would hold up. These are things you need to upload when you have connectivity again. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think one of the appeals of the application cache approach is I don't actually have to code for it. It's more of a set of settings, and then when I go to make the normal request to the site, I'm just grabbing from my local cache, right? My application yes. cache, rather than having to actually write code that says, "Should I check the cache? Should I go to the site? Is exactly. the connection there?" I guess that's where it gets ugly is when I have to evaluate, do I have a connection or not? Yeah, yeah, and that's what you want to avoid. You want an abstraction that keeps that from you. I get it. Are there, are there uh, any devices out there that you're going to have to treat specifically for those devices? In other words, can you write one ASP.NET web mobile app site to, to run on everything? Is that possible? P pretty much. Uh, what will happen is the nice thing about the offline support is uh, since you wrote your app as a web app, if the device doesn't support offline application cache, it'll still work. It's just you need to be connected. It won't work when you're not connected, but you, you haven't but lost the user, anything there. Yeah, the user is used to that anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Right. So it'll just fail the way you expect it to fail. Yeah, okay. Yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> you know, the latest devices from a company that I work at don't yet support it, but... Uh, we weren't going to talk about that. Yeah, they're working on it. But it, and this comes down to the browser feature set. Yes. That's the issue. That's it. what's implemented in a given browser. Right, right. So, like, even d uh, desktop browsers, uh, Chrome actually supports it, for example. But, uh, uh, yeah, see, they're uh, happy about that. So, Chrome fans in the, in the room. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, at the Windows Azure booth. <laughs> I'm just so, uh, Chrome supports it. I, I think Safari does. Uh, I don't think IE supports it yet, but yeah. maybe IE 10 does. I, I have no idea. And, again, from a programming perspective, the fallback is it'll just fail. Is there an, an ability in, say, Modernizer or something to evaluate, do I have this capability? Yeah, so Modernizer is a really great JavaScript library for uh, evaluating what capabilities your current browser has mm -hmm. and for evaluating all the various HTML5 uh, feature sets. Right. So that would be definitely a way to do it is mm. in, in you know, Modernizer, application cache equals true or whatever the property name is. Right. And then you can do different behavior accordingly. And, then, mm. and the behavior difference there would be basically the preload. Yeah. Go off and get a bunch of, you know, make, make a larger request yeah. for all of the if data. If it supports it, yeah. Right, if it supports it. And again, I always get back to this, how much code do I want to write for tolerating this kind of failure? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, the nice thing is that if it doesn't support it, because it's a, a cache header, or not a cache header, it's a, um, a header in your HTML, mm -hmm. if it doesn't support it, it won't make that 
preload call anyways. Right. Right. So then you don't have to worry about code, you know, coding to that. It's interesting that it it almost seems like you're getting towards a native app when you uh, that runs JavaScript in HTML5 instead of a, a true web app. And yeah. that point at that point there's little difference between the two. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it, yeah, and it's pretty exciting too because in theory yeah. it's going to run across all the devices although yeah. with the following caveats. Well, you know, it has all the benefits of web distribution, right? True. Like you just visit a URL and you have the app and there's no install, there's no going through an app store and right. having the overloads reject your app. It's, you know, you put it on the web and it's egalitarian, right? But uh, if you get the offline support working on all devices, it also, yeah, like you said, it also stays around, right? And then, you know, you can dock it on your tile on your Windows Mobile or as a button on uh, iPhone. And, you know, for the most part, as, as these JavaScript engines get faster and faster, you may not even notice the difference anymore, mm -hmm. that whether it was a native app or not. So, you know, I might be taking a risk of looking foolish here, but I'll say it anyway, because <laughs> um, I, I really don't care. You're a risk taker. Hey, you know, I don't care about looking foolish. Uh, so I have the iPhone. Uh -huh. I have the iPhone 3. And one of the reasons I like downloading an app uh, to access stuff that I would normally access on the web is, you know, let's say, for example, I have an account on a particular website. I go there with a browser. I have to log in every time. Uh -huh. If I have an app that I download, it remembers all my credentials every time I go in there. And somebody told me once, well, you know, you can do that with your app, too. But you, you really, with your, with your web browser, but uh -huh. you really can't. Like, I haven't found that those things stick and those mm. things persist with the iPhone. I have to, and maybe it's because I need to clear my history every once in a while or whatever, but. Yeah, and it may well be that uh, the, a lot of these web developers aren't yet taking advantage of the HTML5 local database maybe. to store your credentials on the client, right, that, that persists. Because the thing is, the, da the local database will persist over, you know, closing and opening the browser multiple times, right? Yeah. So there's probably no real reason you couldn't do it, but I imagine that, you know, I think people are kind of, towing into this area because it feels like a security problem to say, yeah, I'm going to let you persist your connections indefinitely on a web app, you know? Because, yeah. uh, like, that same app is accessible via, you know, an internet, you know, browser at a library. And yeah, so, I, I don't need to persist my connection, but I do want to persist my, my credentials. No, that's what I'm talking about, right? Oh, credential. Okay. Yeah, so I think it, it will happen. I think people just have to think through it very carefully about the security. And when you say people, you're talking about the developers. The web, sorry, the web, the web developers. Yeah, it yeah. feels like we're still working on the core set of patterns for this persistent HTML5 app yeah. about how we queue outbound, how we cache inbound, yeah. how we manage authentication. Because that would be, a, for example, that would be a case where you really would want to know that the app is being accessed from a mobile device versus. Oh, sure. a, non, uh, a browser in a library where right. it's a shared system. Well, it, it right. really want the effect that the desktop browsers have of once I've logged into this site once, while I'm still working in that given session, even if I give close that given browser instance, when I go back to that site, it just logs me back in. Yeah. But, you but know, I reboot my machine, that goes away. Yeah. I go to any other machine, it's not there. Yeah. At the very least, you're going to still have to give the website permission, you know, like the remember me checkbox right. kind yeah. of thing. But with an app, that you download an app store, you never see that. It just yeah. remembers because it's an app. Yeah, I mean, it, it seems like this is rich ground for something that, like a common protocol for doing authentication from a client device 
where the bra the phone could actually store your authentication credentials. And as I'm and saying this, I'm thinking of, oh, God, we tried that with card space, right? Yeah, but, I know. Big can of worms because now all the credential people and the federated identity people yeah. are getting in but, there. But, yeah, the so. fact that we're still wrestling with this problem after how many years? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I'm still not happy with the answers. Like, I, I'm not so sure I need federated identity to use my iPhone. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. But I'm... But I would like it to persist. But I, yeah. I mean, yeah, it's, it's funny because like I use my, I actually use my iPhone now to log into uh, my Gmail because I use the two-factor authentication for Gmail. Right. There you and, go. And they have the that little RSA-style application where you uh, enter it, the number changes every sixty seconds. Oh man, you and Will Wheaton. What? You yeah. and Will Wheaton are the two only people that require Jeff Atwood does it too. Oh, jeez. <laughs> well, so, I mean, have, have you heard the stories of like, so Facebook also has two-factor, but they send you a text. And um, it happened to a good friend of ours where suddenly um, her Facebook account was sending messages to people saying, I'm in Madrid, I have no money, I need to get home, right. can you wire me some money to get on a plane? Right. You know, and people are like really concerned and they're writing back and... And so, you know, this is a, a classic hack that people are doing. That if they get your Facebook account, they then use your identity to trick your friends. Because it's like, well, you know, yeah, my Facebook, who cares? Like, I don't have anything valuable in there. That's not yeah. the point. The no. point yeah. is your identity, your reputation is valuable. Right. And they're using that to go steal uh, money from your friends. And that's not going to do much for your <laughs> reputation, too. <laughs> so That's not good. So, two-factor, man. Like it. Well, uh... Before we let you go, Phil, uh, we want to give away one of these great Windows se uh, Phone 7 uh, pocket protectors. Okay. I don't know. They're pocket protectors. They're just cases Case. that Jessica Engstrom has created here. And uh, you can get them at www.catoholic.se, C-A-T-O-H-O-L-I-C.se. I understand right now they're half off, but I'm going to give one to one lucky person in the audience. You ready? Woo! Kind of like throwing a potato chip. There, there it is, go. folks. Some, somebody fly go get all that it. Well. Somebody toss that out into the crowd. Never mind. That's. Go ahead. Thank you. They're, 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 oh my God! They're diving for it. Yeah. Who wants Pandemonium. it? It's a Windows Phone Seven case. All right, cool. Phil, thanks very much. Oh, my pleasure. It's Good to talk to you. Pleasure to talk to you. You're not the only one